0: Right now, my listeners can give armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. I have a new go-to pair of headphones I have to tell you about. I've been using the Trey headphones from Studio. that's S-U-D-I-O. These headphones are comfortable and cool, and they have a unique look that embodies the vision of Scandinavian design. Another thing I love is that these headphones don't get tangled up like most others. They're made with a tangle-free cord. With most headphones, you get style or tech, never both. Studio bridges that gap and offers high-tech headphones that offer crisp, quality sound, and they're stylish and modern at the same time. If you're looking for a pair of headphones that don't skimp on quality or design, you've got to check out Studio. Plus, they offer free shipping worldwide. Studio is offering Murderish listeners a special offer of 15% off any purchase. So, do what all the cool kids are doing and head on over to Studio.com, that's S-U-D-I-O dot com, and enter the code Murderish at checkout. You'll get 15% off your purchase. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Welcome to another episode of Murderish. I'm really excited about this episode because I got to talk to John Meehan, a.k.a. Dirty John's first wife, Tanya Bales. You might remember Tanya from the Dirty John podcast. There was an episode that featured recorded phone calls between Dirty John and Tanya. What John said to Tanya during those calls made the hair on the back of my arms stand up. It must have been such a frightening experience for Tanya, and yet she maintained her composure the entire time. Tanya and I connected after she heard my interview with Tara Newell. Tanya has an entirely different perspective on the story, as she was in John's life well before all of his shenanigans caught up with him and ultimately cost him his life. In the interview, she gives a great insight into who John was and what may have motivated him to do the things he did. John put Tanya through hell and left her a single mom who at first had to share custody with a man she feared. After talking to Tanya... I learned some new things that did not come out in the Dirty John podcast or the Dateline episode that featured this story. I found Tanya to be open, honest, level-headed, and overall a very strong woman. She definitely has a story to tell, and I'm happy she's allowing us the opportunity to hear it here on Murderish. I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Tanya, and I think you'll enjoy hearing her perspective too. So, I won't delay it any further. Here's my interview with Tanya Bales. Hi, Tanya. It's Jamie. How's it going? Hi, Jamie. Hey, thanks so much for taking time for me today. I really appreciate it. No problem. Excited. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I was so excited that you reached out. Um, I had such a good time talking to Tara, and I just feel like I learned so much after talking to her that you you can't cover everything when you do a podcast, even though I think that they did an awesome job with the Dirty John podcast there's just always more that you want to know. And um, overall, myself and just like so many of my listeners, all they keep saying is, I mean, excuse my language, but they just think you guys are just a bunch of badasses.
1: (laughs) They're like, (laughs) well, we appreciate that support.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's really kind of the overwhelming response is just tell them I think they're so strong and tell them thank you for, you know, telling their story because, I'm sure it's not easy to put yourself out there. And I've got some questions for you surrounding that. But I really do feel like putting your story out there is just like teaching so many people so many good things.
1: Yep, I agree. There's so much to learn from all of our stories to help other people. Totally,
0: totally agree. So I'll just dive right in. I've got some questions of my own. And then I also you probably saw in my Facebook group that I reached out to some listeners and asked them to submit some questions, and they submitted some good questions for you as well.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, so
0: I know that you and John met uh, while he was in law school in Ohio. Um, how exactly did you guys meet?
1: Well, we met at a dance club. <laughs> um, actually, it was, a, it was a very chance meeting. Um, it's actually, I was working as a, a surgery nurse um, on 3 to 11, and most of the 3 to 11 staff is single, because it's not, you know, really good for families. So we were all single and we would go out a couple nights a week because, you know, you're working on traumas and big surgeries and you need to burn off some steam after that. So we would go out after work and um, he, I met at a, at a dance club and I was just basically going to the restroom and he was standing by the restroom with a friend, stopping girls as they went by, just kind of seemed very innocent, but asking girls where they worked or what they did for a living. Yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. So did you think, I mean, obviously you thought maybe it was kind of innocent at the time, but looking back, do you think it was a strategy of his trying to feel these women out?
1: Yes, definitely a strategy.
0: Wow. God, just mm-hmm. was doing this for so long. It's like he had the same MO for so long. It's like he was a hunter of women mm-hmm. that he could potentially take advantage of. Yep. Yep. I agree. Wow. Okay. And then, um, so looking back do any red flags stick out that he may not have been a good person now that you look back that maybe you didn't see at first?
1: Um, well, that he may not have been a good person. No, I didn't really see those types of things. Yeah. Um, I thought he was a, a good person. or I certainly wouldn't have married him. Now, on that night that we met, I happened to see his driver's license, which wasn't the age that he was telling me he was. Mm-hmm. But he explained that he had you know like a lot of people in college or before college or in high school or whatever had gotten their driver 's license altered so that they could you know buy alcohol, so there was that sign it was his real age on his driver 's license, but he told me he was six years younger than that yeah five years five years younger than that, yeah,
0: oh gotcha, okay, I remember them saying that in the podcast and I mean, you never know how you're going to react to something. And a lot of people might say, oh, gosh, if I saw that, I might run or, you know, certain signs. But mm-hmm. those so subtle and I can totally see anybody buying, you know, back in co- back in your college days, altering a driver's license. So that I can't even imagine would have been a red flag for you at the time
1: at all. No, at the at the time it wasn't. I just like, oh, OK,
0: I know lots of people that have done that. Sure. <laughs> I'm not, I may or may not have, but I'm not, we're not talking about me. So, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, that's um, funny. So, one of my listeners named Sky, she wants to know what was it about John that drew you into him and what did your friends and family think of him?
1: Well, I can tell you that I wasn't even that attracted to him when that evening that I met him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, but he has a way of being so interested in you. Uh, and attracted to you. And he's, you know, he's charming. He was decent enough looking and he was intelligent and he was very friendly, very outgoing, you know, not arrogant in any way, just into you. And I think that's just, that feels good. And and it's almost like an addiction. You know, I I want more of that.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I can see that. And I I remember Deborah mentioning in the podcast, that's exactly what he did with her. That was kind of his M.O. He would ask her right away on their first date about her work. And it was just kind of all about her. And it's he must have been a very smart guy. You know, he seems like he just had this whole bamboozling thing down and it worked on so many women. It's just it's insane.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely a craft that he, you know, mastered and studied and obviously had a lot of, a lot of women that, you know, it worked on.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and I just think that it's, I truly believe that anybody is susceptible to being kind of bamboozled, you know, by someone just depending, you know, they're just, people like him are just so good at manipulating and selling themselves as something else. And I think most people want to see the good in someone. So your first instinct's typically, or not to think, oh, gosh, he's trying to take advantage of me, you know?
1: Yeah, unless I think you've had that type of experience before. Mm -hmm. Um, In my case, I haven't really been exposed. I didn't have a lot of street smarts, or I wasn't really exposed to, you know, anybody that has lied to me or cheated to me. I didn't have any bad boyfriends. I didn't have any red flags up. And I think I was trusting. I was polite. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that messed me up on the very first night that I met him is, I was polite. I stopped and asked his question. Why did I, I answer his question? Why did I, why did I even stop and answer some stranger's question about where I work? How dumb is that? I mean, <laughs> God. but um, those are some characteristics I think, you know, that put me in that place at that time and, and got me in trouble.
0: Yeah. And I, and obviously I know you're joking, but it's like, I don't think that mm-hmm. that was dumb at all because, you know, you had not had a lot of life experience at that point. You were the perfect person for him to sort of prey on, you know, how would you have known that this stranger was up to no good? So why not answer his question? You're, you're at a club, you're having fun, everything's kind of light and fluffy,
1: you know, so mm-hmm.
0: just totally picture the situation. And it doesn't seem out of the ordinary at all. I think a lot of women would have answered his question.
1: Well, that made me feel better. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I, I, you know, was, was that age once too. And I've had some experiences in my life where I look back now and go, how stupid could I have been? But you know what? You're not. You just don't, you don't know any better. You just don't know any better. So yeah. So Deborah said that, you, you kind of hinted at this, so Deborah Newell said that John had a fun-loving side where he would, like, get down and play with, you know, the kids and play with dogs and things like that. So what are some examples of moments when John was enjoyable to be around that you can recall?
1: Well, I mean, I would say he's mostly always was enjoyable to be around, mm-hmm. and I would describe him exactly as Deborah did. If you were in a crowd of people or with my family... You're likely to find him engaged with the kids and the puppies and, and stuff like that. And now that might be a little bit of a red flag that he wasn't really letting other adults get to know him. He wasn't spending a lot of time with them. Yeah. He might have been actually avoiding them. But he was always um, you know, lighthearted and fun and spontaneous. And I, I obviously, I found him enjoyable to be around or I wouldn't have married him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that that makes a lot of sense when you just said that it may, when he was like focusing on the kids so much or focusing on animals or whatever, it, that it really could have just been a distraction. Like, cause he knew the more time that he spent with adults, you know, he, he didn't really want to connect with them, um, or have them figure him out. So maybe it was a right. distraction. That makes a lot right. of sense. Yep. And you don't have to answer this at all but I, I did okay. wonder if John was
1: ever violent with you or your daughters. Absolutely not. Okay. Not even in the slightest and I would tell you that over the course we were married or actually, you know, married together for approximately 9 years. Mm-hmm. We dated we dated almost 2 years before that and in 11 years we barely even fought. I mean, mm. almost to the point where it might be considered abnormal because it was abnormal. I think that I was, you know, providing his lifestyle, even though I wasn't rich, but you know, better lifestyle than he'd probably ever had. Yeah. <laughs> and and if you're conning someone, you, he, I think he did everything to keep, you know, things just cool and aesthetic and went along with whatever life I was trying to build for us and. Mm. Um, you know, looking back, probably we didn't argue enough and, you know, as a normal, as a normal couple, I think he just, you know, was trying to keep things peaceful.
0: Yeah. Almost as if, um, like he didn't want to rock the boat because he was getting what he wanted and he was smart enough to know that if you rocked the boat too much, you might just up and leave. Right.
1: Right. Right. But I never saw him, you know, angry. He never, um, there was no violence, not even, you know, close to anything. And I didn't even know what he potentially was capable of. I felt a danger and a fear once things flipped, you know, in our relationship. Um, But I never felt like he was going to, you know, necessarily, you know, grab me or hurt me himself. I I just wasn't sure.
0: Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. And let's see. So John's mother, is she still alive? I know his father passed. No, they both, they both passed. okay. Cause I was gonna, so do you or your daughters have any kind of relationship with John's siblings? I know he has two sisters, right? Who are still alive?
1: Yes, um, that, that's that been difficult. There were times, you know, because I, I met Donna a couple of times once before we were uh, married. And then of course, Donna came to Ohio to help John once he went to prison. And she really, really tried to foster a relationship you know, between him, um, and his girls, which didn't work. Um, Mm -hmm. he chose, he chose everything over the girls, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's been difficult. There's a lot of emotions and feelings. Um, and we're 3000 miles apart and you know, the one sister I've never even met in person. So I would say it's been a struggle to connect or stay connected with them. Yeah. Um, for lots of different reasons. Well, I can understand it's, it's all
0: Seems so very complicated. And I guess the one thing that you all have in common is that John just, I wouldn't say he wrecked you guys, because obviously it seems like you're doing very well today and your daughters and everything, but he just had a serious effect on all of you guys. And he just would take advantage of anybody and everybody. It didn't matter if you were blood, it didn't matter if you were his wife or, you know, whoever. So I think you guys all have that in common, but I can just imagine that it's very complicated. Um, a complicated situation. So.
1: Yeah. And it's not like we were close family and all, you know, had a relationship and then bad things happened and he died. These are people I basically had no relationship with. Right. And then got divorced from the brother and, you know, it's very different than a normal situation.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Very, very different. Um, My cousin Dina wanted to know, um, how much did John keep in touch with you and your daughters while he was kind of in and out of prison and doing drugs, basically after your divorce?
1: Yeah, well, I had a protection order against him, so I had almost no, you know, no contact. I didn't want any really just um, to see his picture, or hear his name gave me tremendous uh, fear and anxiety. I wanted nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. I did have to cooperate, however, with the courts because he came out of prison and um, took me to court and wanted um, shared custody, not just visitation, but shared custody is what he was asking for. Wow. And um, we had psychic vows, um, you know, both of us mm-hmm. and um, the children and my new husband, and he was ordered supervised visitation, which he did three times. Mm-hmm. And then took me back to court after a year wanting to take the children out of the state and to California to visit his mother, who he had a terrible relationship with and it was denied. And then he basically stayed in California and never contacted any of us. I, I wouldn't say again, because he did tweet Emily in the summer of 2015, mm. but from 2005 until his death, basically no contact.
0: Wow. Um Gosh, I, I, I guess I want to know, you know, as a mother myself, I can't even imagine how it felt for you to be forced at, at a certain time to allow him to spend time with your daughters without you there. I mean, I know it, I think in the podcast you had mentioned, you know, Abby needed a diaper bag at the time, so she must have been very young. I mean, how did it make you feel at the time when you just you had to allow him to visit and you could not control the situation? It
1: was awful. <laughs> I cannot it was awful and here's here's an example. I would um, he was under investigation by the DEA, but I was had to keep that secret oh. because the DEA wanted to watch him and and uh, keep an eye on him, and they did not want him to know, and I'm in the middle of getting divorced from him, so my attorney knows a lot, but I still have to let allow him visitation because we don't have enough proof of everything. Right. So, um, I, like an example, I'd load her into his car and there would be a rotten bottle of milk from the last visit. Ugh. And I would say, and I said, John, you know, you need to put this in the front seat. And he threw it, he threw it in the back seat. You know, don't worry about it. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so I knew they weren't being, you know, greatly cared for. I didn't think he ever wanted to hurt them. Sure. But I thought that he wanted to hurt me to get back at me for going to the police Mm -hmm. And I think I was worried that he would steal them more than anything, that he would take off and I'd never see them again. That was, that was really my greatest fear. I was going to do that. Oh my gosh. I just, I I absolutely can't
0: imagine. And I'm so happy that at some point you were able, or he was, you know, he left you alone, but that has got to be the greatest fear and anxiety and stress uh, that, that a mother could ever, ever uh, feel. You know. Well, you
1: never, you never expect that you're going to have to protect your children from their own father. I mean, it's just, it's not anything that ever crossed my mind as a young woman, you know, wanting to have a family and get married, and um, it just never crossed my mind that I would have to protect them from the man that I thought I would be with the rest of my life, who wanted children with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you're right. It was awful, and it's hard to imagine.
0: No, it is. And uh, do your daughters remember these times? And do they remember being afraid, or were they just kind of like, you know, they were so young that they didn't really understand that
1: the situation? Well, it it was hard because I did my best. I didn't really want them to be afraid during their time, but I wanted them to be alert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had to tell them things like, you know, your dad isn't allowed to come to school and sign you out. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. only mommy's allowed to do that. So they had to sense, I think kids are very, you know, <laughs> yes. attuned to what you're feeling, even if it's not what you're saying. Sure. But I I didn't really want them to be afraid, just at a, a heightened awareness. Yeah. I think that's so
0: smart, um, Tanya, because, you know, as a mother, it's like, um, no matter what, you know, you don't ever want to put fear in your kids. You don't want them to have anxiety or be stressed out or have any kind of negative feelings because you just want them to be happy. They're so innocent. So mm-hmm. I, I can just see how you were teeter tottering between make, still making sure that they're happy and don't don't feel fearful or have any angst, but you were also trying to arm them with knowledge of to kind of keep them safe, you know, the rules so, so to speak, like he's not allowed to, you know, check you out from school and kind of be alert gosh, it's smart of you to kind of take that strategy with them, for lack of a better term. I, as a mom, I think that, that I could see how you would want to do that, where you wouldn't want them to be afraid or sad or anything like that, but you would want them to be alert.
1: Right. And we were in counseling. I don't want to take all the credit for, for yeah. my parenting um, because, because I wanted to do it right. I didn't know how to get divorced. I didn't know to handle, how to handle it with the children. And when all of these, you know, what I found out about John came in bits and pieces. This all wasn't handed to me on a silver platter one day. You know, I yeah. find drugs. I find a fair. I, then I find, you know, call his mom and find out a whole lot more. So I definitely sought a counselor and I, we, we went for probably five or six years just so I would know how, how to tell the kids, you know, certain things. You know, your dad's in jail. You know, how do you tell a kid that? What do you tell him? And the counselor, you know, made sure I didn't tell them, don't tell them that their dad is sick. (laughs) Then they'll worry about their dad being sick. Don't say he's on vacation. You know, there's a lot of things you can say that aren't right. I wouldn't have known any of that, you know, had I not taken them to see a a counselor.
0: So, and that was really, uh, it's great of you. I think, and I think that's great advice, you know, for somebody to seek some counseling after what you guys went through. And so... So the counselor was basically saying, be honest with him and let them, with your children and let them know that your father's in prison.
1: Yes. She basically said, you need to tell them the truth. You don't have to tell them all the horrific details and all the nitty gritty of everything that's going on, but they need to know truth. It's important to be honest with them.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. You don't want to give them any false sense of, like you said, I, I never would have thought about the fact, I think a lot of parents probably would tell them, "Oh." So, and so, you know, your father's sick or he's on vacation, but then they have this false sense of, oh, well, do I, you know, I'm worrying about him because he's sick or they have a false sense of, oh, well, then he's going to come back sometime soon. You know, he's only on
1: vacation. Right. We, we equated it to timeout. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad's, your dad's in timeout, you know, needed- and this is what he did. He took medications that were supposed to be for um, his patient and he, and he took them, he mm-hmm. took something that wasn't his and he's in, he's in timeout now. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, it's a lesson like you do this and this these are the consequences.
1: Right. Um you had
0: mentioned that John tweeted Emily. What did he say in his tweet? So,
1: um yeah, so summer of uh, 2015, you know, Emily calls me almost like feeling like in a panic, you know that mm-hmm. that he's tweeted her and he 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 tweeted her twice from two different accounts. One of them was his name, I think it was misspelled. He liked to change, you know, the spelling of his name to kind of hide. Um, and he's in that one, he said, I'm proud to see you doing so well. I have something I want to give to you or get to you, you know, please call me. And he put his cell phone number up Wow! and the other one, um, he was John Jacobs Mm, (laughs) and kind of, kind of said the same thing, you know, um, you know, please call me. I'm new at this. Just a couple little, just a couple little, you know, sentences like that. And, you know, and Emily called me for advice and, I always tried to be as neutral as I could, give the kids the options (laughs) of what they could do with that and let them decide for themselves what Mm -hmm. they wanted to do. And I decided to call his sister because I thought if he's got something he wants to get to Emily after all these years, maybe he's sick, maybe he's got cancer. You know, I kind of wanted to get the scoop of what was going on. And Um, that's when she told me he was married and such, but so Emily never called him and it would have opened a big can of worms. We're all still curious about what he would have said or what he thought he had to give her. We'll never know. Right. And it may
0: have just been a ploy to have her get in touch. I mean, who, who knows? He was so manipulative.
1: Um, Yes. But yeah. Well, I also said to Emily at that time, you know, if your dad hasn't been in contact with you for 10 years. You're going to say something different than what he's just said. That was kind of a red flag to me. Uh-huh. If I hadn't seen my child in 10 years, I would have said, you know, hi, Emily, it's your dad. I've been working on myself. I'm sorry that I'm not in your life anymore. I I really would love to get to know you. There would have been some more uh, meat to that first contact. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought it, he was dangling a carrot in front of her. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I could see that Mm -hmm. being the case just with everything we know about him now. So, I mean, in retrospect, it's probably good that she didn't reach out to him, right? Right.
1: Yeah. I think so.
0: What was your impression uh, when John flunked out of law school?
1: Were you around at that time? I didn't know he flunked out of law school until after we were divorced. Wow. Oh, (laughs) my gosh. He was that good? Well, he Uh, he went to California for... Um, Christmas break. And when he came back, he was just all upset and um, saying that the bank had lost his loan application and he needed the money in three days or the University of Dayton was going to, you know, drop all his classes. Right. Okay. Okay. So he just... And apparently he had actually not passed. Yeah. But... And so he was looking for money. I didn't give him any money. I didn't have any money, but we were engaged. I asked my parents if they'd be willing to help, and they said, no, I don't think we want to do that. And, yeah. and he had his own parents. <laughs> yeah. So so that's when he moved from Ohio to California and was supposedly going to law school out there. But I can't confirm whether for sure he was going. I mean, yeah. I didn't pay the bill. I didn't see any grades. Wow. But,
0: Are you tired of battling through the dreaded pre-period week or struggling with menopause symptoms? It's time to reclaim control with estro control. When I'm not feeling like myself, I'm not able to show up as my best self for my family, my friends, or my podcast team. Did he, um, what did your, I'm not sure if we talked about this already.
1: What did your family
0: think of John?
1: Well, you know, I've always been kind of an independent, you know, girl and my parents, I think just trusted in me. And, you know, I think they would say that they liked him. No one warned me. My parents didn't certainly think any of this was ever gonna, you know, happen, I think they would have said, you know, that they liked him and they thought he was going to be, you know, a good husband.
0: Right. Right. And
1: why would they think anything
0: else? Because he was very agreeable during your marriage and like you said, nonviolent and um, you guys didn't argue that much. So it's like, why would they have any hint that he was not a good person?
1: Right. And he was hardworking. He was smart. He was in law school. And then he went to anesthesia school. I mean, you know, he was very driven to seemingly be, be successful. Right. And he became successful, but it wasn't enough for him.
0: Yeah. He needed more. Mm-hmm. seems like he, he needed more. Like an extreme narcissist, right? Is that, is that mm-hmm. your impression as well? I would say that. I would agree
1: with that. Yeah.
0: Gosh. <laughs> I know. If it's, I sometimes I feel like, gosh, if he wasn't a narcissist, I don't know who is, but he w- really was all about himself and had these like visions of grandeur. It, it seemed like, yes, yeah. Um, my listener Tracy wanted to know, um, why you waited ten years before content contacting John's mom, but I think you answered that basically there was no reason to contact his mom. Your marriage was going well, and he had given you the indication that his family they were not good people, so you didn't reach out until after he left, right, because that's when you started realizing, okay, think he's not a good person or something's wrong here, and then you reached out to his mom for more answers
1: right. I just had a sense that may, that there was there was something missing, and in really, my sister was kind of instrumental in that and saying, you know why is he leaving? why is he leaving you and i didn't know about the eff- the affair um, right away. I didn't know anything. I just knew that my husband basically came home and said that I was too controlling and, you know, he wanted to get a divorce. Hmm. Well, of course I'm going to be perceived as too controlling when you want to have an affair in another state and your wife wants you to be at home raising your brand new baby and your kids. And so my sister's one's like, Tanya, there's a there's a piece missing, Hmm. you know? And so that's when I called his mom and, you know, I wouldn't have called her earlier. Like you said, there was no real reason for me to call her. And that isn't something you would do with the intimacy of your, your husband. if you, you wouldn't go behind his back and call his mom, if he said his mom is not a good person or his family's dysfunctional. He said his whole family was dysfunctional and that he was, you know, better being away from them. And he was raised by his basketball coaches and a very believable story.
0: Wow. Yeah, and and I mean, it sounds like some of his family was dysfunctional. Certainly, his father was, but you know, he just kind of flip flopped it and made it seem like they were the bad guys, and he's kind of the
1: innocent victim. Right. There was a lot of dysfunction there, but I think he was the the blackest sheep.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was so interesting to hear his sister describe when it was just really a turning point for him. I think his sophomore year, when his parents divorced, is just kind of when he just went south, like just turned into mm-hmm. Dirty John, basically.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think he felt abandoned by his mom. I mean, I don't know all the details of that. I know that, you know, we know we've learned, you know, that the father was into some some shady things and there was, you know, affairs on that side too. And I think the mom, well, I, I know the mom, the mom, I talked to the mom on the phone before she died and she said she just had enough. She doesn't want to stay with John's dad anymore. And she left.
0: I guess I can't blame her. I mean, it doesn't sound like he was a great guy. I mean, obviously I don't, didn't know him, but Doesn't sound like he was the best guy to be married to. right? So my uh, listener, Jen, she just wanted to know, and I'm curious about this too. Why do you think John did decide to leave you since he kind of had it so good? Why do you think he left? And why do you think that he spared you from continuous, nefarious behavior after a certain point? Okay, remind me of your second question, but
1: (laughs) to answer the first question, I think he's just moved on to bigger, better things. I mean, he was having an affair with an OBGYN uh, resident in Michigan, and I think it was more – obviously, it was a new relationship. It was more exciting. She had more earning potential, Mm -hmm. and to second-guess any other reason, I'm just not sure.
0: Yeah, that would make sense, though, and he always – shoot for the stars, you know, income potential seemed to be what he was after. Right. So the second part was just why do you think that John spared you from continuous – you know, nefarious behavior. I know he kind of harassed you pretty bad for a while, but what do you think made him stop? You think he just found somebody else to harass?
1: Well, I think it's a combination of things. First of all, I had a protection order that was for five years. So that definitely cooled him down for a while. And then I got remarried to a very protective uh, <laughs> man who wasn't going to put up with any of it. So John had to basically go through him too. And the other thing is, is that I think, you know, I always knew that when John wasn't bothering me, he was on somebody else. And that always bothered me Yeah. because I would, I would want nothing more than to warn that other woman, but to do so would have put my life in danger and would have, you know, he would have been right back at me. Mm-hmm. So I had to let it go. I can't follow him around the country, you know, warning everybody in his path. Right. So, I mean, I just had to pray for a peaceful life and, and it was pretty peaceful, even though he was lurking at any moment, I did feel a lot safer.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And you're right. You probably, you know, thought about it a lot and you wouldn't you obviously would not wish that kind of harassment on anybody, but at the same time it's like you you can't save everybody and you're probably just so happy that you're safe and your kids are safe and you've got to move on at some point. Freshly is the easiest and most convenient way to eat healthy no matter what life throws your way. Freshly's team of chefs create all-natural, gluten-free dinners and deliver them fresh to your door. So even if you get stuck at work late, you can still come home to a delicious dinner cooked by a chef. No more worrying about having to figure out what's for dinner and especially no mess to clean up after. Freshly's team of chefs source the finest, all-natural ingredients they can find and then work with nutritionists to ensure their meals are as healthy as possible. All of the meals are made to order and pre-portioned. A couple of my favorite meals are the sausage and peppers with tomato cauliflower rice and the steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans. Freshly's menu is created by chefs for people who want to eat healthy but are living busy lives and don't always have the time to shop, cook, or clean. Customize your weekly meals from their constantly changing rotating menu of more than 30 chef-crafted options. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Every single meal comes with a detailed and easy-to-read overview of each ingredient featured in the meal. And let me tell you, there's nothing better than knowing that no matter what happens in my daily life that I have a chef-cooked dinner waiting for me at home. Check out this week's menu created by Freshly's Chefs and get $25 off your first order of six chef-cooked dinners, plus free shipping. To get this exclusive discount, head over to Freshly.com forward slash podcast. You'll feel so relieved to come home to a chef-cooked meal every night with Freshly. That's Freshly.com forward slash podcast for $25 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Studio, makers of my go-to pair of headphones. Studio's headphones are high quality and modern looking. You've got to check them out. Head on over to studio.com and enter promo code MURDERISH at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Summer, um one of my listeners you you touched on this earlier um so besides, you know, kind of seeing John's license, a uh, driver's license that night when you met him and seeing that his age was different Was there anything else, like what was your first clue besides that, that something was up? Was it at the point when he left you and what was it that made you call uh, his mom? Was there something that you found out about him or?
1: Well, he had vaguely mentioned, this is now after we are married, there was a mention at some point of a second social security number that he had used. And, you know, I was young. I didn't even really understand social security numbers when I met him or. Right. (laughs) I mean, I knew everybody had one. And I can't honestly, I can't even tell you now what he said about that. But that always was in my head, this this Mm -hmm. other social security number and the driver's license, which brings up an age issue and the fact that the. In the first year of our marriage, I was in his desk looking for, I don't know, staples or something, and I came across a little picture of him. Hmm. And it's a little type of picture you get as a school photo, you know, a little, what is it, a one by two picture or whatever. And the age, you know, there was a, um, a date on the picture, like a stamped date on the picture. And it didn't match up with the year that he was born. Like in that picture, he should have been three years old. Well, you're not in school when you're three years old. God. So there was, there were those kind of three things, the social security number, the age, the driver's license that I just, I think I knew in the back of my mind that something just isn't completely right here. Sure. And since he's left me and he's got another woman, what do I got to lose? I want to know what's going on. I so think- that's when I called his mom and she just unloaded on me. She's like, oh my, she said, oh, Tanya, I knew you would call me one day. Wow.
0: I bet the hair on your arm stood up when she said that. I mean, you were essentially married to a stranger, right? Like he was not the man he that you thought he was. How did that make you feel to know that you thought you knew a lot about him, but in, in all reality, perhaps you didn't?
1: Well, it made me sick. Yeah. It made me, you know, look at the world totally different. Like, you know, I thought the world was a good and safe place. And for the most part it is, but yeah, (laughs) it definitely, it changed my, you know, my perception a little bit.
0: Gosh, I can imagine that would be just so frightening to hear. And I mean, it makes the hair on my arm stick up when, when you repeat what his mom said, oh gosh, I knew you would call me. It's like, oh no, what am I Mm -hmm. about to hear, you know?
1: Right. But knowledge is power. I needed to know it. That helped me and having her support at that time, you know, did really help me. So
0: Yeah, because I can imagine everything you learned at that time, you were like, okay, I know what I've got to do. Like you knew probably at that point, I've got to keep him out of my life. I've got to keep him out of my daughter's lives. He's a dangerous man. And knowledge is power. I totally agree with you. Another point, you know, when I was listening to the podcast, when my hair stood up is when John was on the phone with you and the way that he said to you, enjoy your time on this earth. How did mm-hmm. that gosh I mean I even just saying it creeps me out how how did that make you feel when he said that to you on the phone
1: Well you know he always had this kind of background mafia talk you know that his family had been involved with the mafia and
0: sure. um
1: so I, I, you know, I was nervous that, you know, he could hurt me or he was going to hurt me or, you know, he definitely blames other people for anything that happens to him. And I had gone to the police and he wanted to get me back. Yeah. And he was threatening me before um, I reported it to the police. And they're the ones that told me to start recording his conversations. Mm-hmm. And. In that conversation, you may not hear it on the podcast, but you can, my breathing, I'm, bre- I'm scared out of my mind, but I'm trying to stay strong, keep him on the phone and kind of taunt him a little bit. Like, yeah, right, John, what are you going to do? You know, send the mafia after me again. Um, oh, I see. but no, it's, it's a, it was, it was a terrible time. I was very scared. I used to get in my car and, and start the car with the garage door down with my kids in it in the morning. Cause I always leave in the dark. And I thought if he's in the driveway, I'm hitting the gas.
0: Yeah. Oh but, my gosh. Yeah. You know what? And it's so interesting to hear you say, because when I listen to the podcast and I hear those recorded conversations, my impression of you was that this woman has no fear. She's, so strong she's almost taunting him like yeah right john you know but now listening to you say that was all sort of a strategy to get him to say more right to reveal right oh my gosh that's so interesting
1: right but that's i think that's part of also what kept it kept i did stand up to him and a lot of women maybe wouldn't would have been scared but i i gave it back to him i tried to (laughs) <laughs> oh, you did. Oh, you, you know,
0: I, mean, I was listening to that. And I, I was actually kind of listening to it again before I called you this morning. And I'm just thinking, whoa, this woman is so strong and good for her. Give it right back to him. And I think that when mm-hmm. you would give it back to him, it made him even angrier when he would just really try to come back and cut you so hard for mm-hmm. daring to stand up to him. and And he wanted you to be afraid of him. And in that moment, you're like, bring it, you know, like, right. Gosh, I I just, I have a lot of respect that you were able to do that. I think that even though I'm sure you were very scared and you had every right to be, I think a lot of people may not have even been able to step up to that challenge to record the phone calls and talk to a man that they're afraid of. So, and I'm not Mm -hmm. saying everybody has to do it. Everybody can make their own choices, but I just have so much respect that you were able to do that. And I think it helped you and society because it helped bring charges against him. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there was another thing that I had heard on the podcast and obviously this would just be conjecture on your part because I don't expect you to know the answer to this, but do you think that John did inject his father with morphine, you know, when he was in the hospital and very ill or do you, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, (laughs) You know, I didn't even find out about that until this last year. Wow. His his family never even mentioned that to me. And I thought that was probably something if they thought he was capable of that, that they probably should have told me or warned me, but, but that's in hindsight. But I think that Donna's intuition, you know, when you feel something or you suspect something, there's something in the environment that's alerting you and you should pay attention to that. And I think if that crossed her mind, then it was probably true. And yes, I think he was capable of it. Yeah, And he would have had access.
0: I So I was going to ask you that. And you being in the medical profession, it doesn't... S- now, I don't know. You You can answer this better than I can. But would it seem like his father needed morphine at that point? Or does that sound totally out of the ordinary for morphine to have been found in his system at that time?
1: Well, he was in hospice care, is my understanding. Gotcha. I mean, he was he was on his deathbed. Sure. But as Donna explains in the podcast, that you know John was getting impatient with how long it was taking for the dad to die because John went out to California at that time, mm-hmm. and, and she says in there that you know he he was taking too long. He was getting impatient, and she went to take a shower and comes out and he's dead. Uh, And it could have been morphine. It could have been all kinds of different things that he's had access to.
0: Sure. Yeah, that we know from the podcast. He um, liked his drugs and sounds like there were quite a few that that he was taking. In that vein, do you think that John may have also been responsible in some way for his brother's overdose death? Because I guess it came out that John had been shipping his brother drugs and those are the drugs that his brother
1: overdosed on? Well, I... I (laughs) Yes, I opened the hard drive of my computer after his family told me that he was mailing narcotics to Mm -hmm. his brother, and I have emails to his brother telling him exactly how to use the drugs, when they're coming, be careful, don't mix it with alcohol, so whether John definitely sent his brother narcotics, his brother was definitely a, a drug addict prior to John sending them. Now, whether um, his brother died of an actual vial that John supplied, sure, I don't know that that will ever be known. But he definitely contributed to his brother's addiction. But you know, we'll never know if it was an an actual vial or that the brother you know sold those drugs for something else that he preferred. Right. But but he played a, he played a hand and a role in his brother's death. Yes, I believe that.
0: Wow, it's such a sad story. I mean, obviously, I, I don't I don't know anything about his brother, but. It's just overall sad. You know, you have family dysfunction and then it all just trickles down and you see how the dysfunction starts at the top, say with his father, and then you've got, you know, two drug addict sons. One of them dies of an overdose and the other one, you know, passes away th- from circumstances that he pretty much, you know, essentially brought on himself. And it's a sad story all around. Yeah. Um, his his sisters have been through a lot. I can just, <laughs> oh gosh, I can just, just imagine. Have you been in contact with any other women? Have any other women reached out to you that John took advantage of?
1: Well, uh, I've been in contact with several over the years. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm in contact with the lady in in Michigan who actually has a child with him. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but she wants to remain anonymous, and we're gonna we'll we'll definitely respect her. But yeah, there is a child, 18 <laughs> months younger than Abigail. Oh, wow. And definitely, you know, Tara and Deborah. I felt, you know, it was very important to to reach out to them, help them in any way, you know, that we could. And obviously, we are just so proud of Tara and thought she was such a champion for all women. Definitely, <laughs> um, that we wanted to support her. Now, I, I didn't go to Tara right away, just out of respect for, you know, her and her mom. But um, as the year passed and the podcast and everything we stay in contact regularly. Okay. So I do have, yeah. And I'm so happy to hear that
0: Tara alluded to that, you know, in our interview. And I think that myself and all the listeners, uh, you know, of the Dirty John podcast, were so happy to hear that you all have a good relationship and that there does not seem to be any animosity toward Tara. You know, obviously she was fighting for her life and I'm glad to hear that you all have a decent relationship and have stayed in contact.
1: Yes, and we kind of tease because those really were her step their stepsisters yes. at one time, and Deborah was their stepmother at one time, and you <laughs> yeah. know we kind of take that lightly, you know, with a joke. But we definitely, you know, have a bond with them. we're we're in a small group of of women who have suffered at his hand, and only we know how the other feels for sure.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah, that's that's great to
0: hear. And I think there's strength in numbers, and you guys can draw strength and support from each other having gone through, you know, something similar from such a terrible man. Exactly. So I was curious as to how did you find out about John's death? Who informed you?
1: The younger of the two sisters um, sent me an email Mm -hmm. and just said, John was killed, you know, please call me. And so I called and they told me the horrific tale while I was at work one day. Wow. Oh. And
0: with that, so that was Tara or Jacqueline? No, 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 no. His sisters. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, gotcha. One of his, his actual sisters called you and told you. And what were your first thoughts after hearing that?
1: Well, um, I was immediately upset and, and shook, you know, not even knowing any details. I didn't know if he was in a car accident or he overdosed. You know, we've been waiting for his demise for a long time because we knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. We knew I've been saying for a long time, this is going to go down in a big ball of fire. And we didn't know what that ball of fire was going to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, We assumed some man would, you know, maybe some woman's brother or father would have had enough of how he treated somebody and taken him out. We never imagined it was going to be, you know, this scenario, but what poetic justice. Oh my gosh.
0: Oh my gosh. To say uh, that's putting it lightly. I mean, every time I talk to somebody about this, it's almost like, it just can't be true. I mean, it was like made for a movie and I don't want to, you know, make light of it, but truly like those things just don't happen. And I told Tara, I said, you just were not supposed to survive that day. He had everything going for him as far as size and pre-planning and weapons and everything. I cannot believe that she triumphed. And I'm just in awe that she did. And obviously so happy that she did.
1: Yes. And, but in the same token, she was perfectly prepared with loving the walking dead and (laughs) having dreams about We've all had dreams about stabbing John Meehan, myself, my sister. Yeah. Because when you're afraid of someone, when you have anxiety in the middle of the night, that all comes out and you're fighting for your life, even when you're sleeping. So we've all, we've all pictured ourselves, you know, trying to get the best of him when he's attacking us or chasing us or whatever.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that, though, too, because you're just so afraid and you get into a deep sleep and you're just, it's almost like you're having premonitions that if it were to happen, this is how you would fight back almost. Right. Oh, my gosh. Did you guys, I don't know why you would necessarily, because I know that you didn't want anything to do with him, but did did you visit him in the hospital at all during those four days he was alive?
1: No, they didn't call me right away. They didn't call me till the day they were going to pull the plug. So Deborah didn't want to be the one to, to make that decision. So she gave power of attorney to his sister oh, and God. they called me the day that they were going to pull the plug. So he was stabbed, I believe on a Saturday and they called me on a Wednesday. Wow. And, you know, they were kind of, um, you know, trying to feel me out. I, if I recall correctly, cause Emily really would be the oldest next of kin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not, you know, a daughter, I think, takes president over a, a sister, but we all decided that there was no way we were letting Emily make a decision.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. How old uh, was Emily at that time?
1: Uh, So
0: 21. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. yeah, She was young. And she had right. not had a relationship with him, right? So it just would have been, that would have been a lot of weight to carry on her shoulders.
1: Right. So. But no, we would not have gone to visit him. They sent us pictures of him in the hospital as proof that he really was gone because you need that proof because sure. he's like that guy in the movie that, you know, you, that you shoot and kill and he keeps getting back up.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, and, and literally, too. I mean, like when Tara was fighting for her life, he did. I mean, he went down at one point and then he would get back up and continue attacking. And he's just. Oh. I just, I, I'm just, it's a terrifying, terrifying story. And I thought it was just very telling of Tara's character when, and personality. When she, her first instinct was to call her mom and kind of apologize, like, mom, I'm sorry. I, I think I killed your husband. Whereas mm-hmm. I like my instinct would be, Oh, I'm so glad he's dead and he can't hurt anybody. You know, like it, it's, she's just such a good person. She's such a kind hearted person. She didn't want to hurt her mom, but wow,
1: just a crazy story. Yeah, that was striking to me, too, that she was apologizing for killing somebody who everybody in the family feared and hated.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And that, gosh, I I told Tara, too, that I, you know, if she would not have killed him that day, I firmly believe that she would have not survived. Because like she said, too, she absolutely thinks that John would have kidnapped her and killed her, but then pretended that she was alive just to get some ransom money out of her mom. Mm-hmm. It's just Yeah, it's terrifying. He definitely had a kill kit in his trunk. So I know his intentions were not good with Tara. Right. Had you been in contact with Deborah or anybody in her family prior to John's death? Or was it all after he had died?
1: No, it was all after he had died. But I knew about her because Jacqueline had called Detective Lucan and Detective Lucan and I have been in contact probably at least once a year for the last, I don't know, 17, 18 years. Okay. So, so I knew about them through him. And also actually Donna told me that he had gotten married and, and such, but no, there was no contact before. Okay. And, um, your relationship or your
0: connection with Deborah and her daughters came about because I'm sorry, did you say one of them reached out to you or did you reach out to them at some point?
1: Well, actually, it was Abby and, and Tara. You know, we've kind of been watching the social media aspect of this and how deborah has been kind of attacked by some people. And Tara had commented on something um, where her mom was being judged. And Abby liked Tara's defense of her mother. And so they started a conversation together first. And then we came to find out that they were coming to Augusta, Georgia to pick up a puppy at a breeder. Yeah, And so we just set a date to, to all meet.
0: That's great. Yeah. Tara kind of talked about that a little bit when I interviewed her. And I just think that, you know, it warms my heart that in one way I can understand, I think, you know, if your daughters had any animosity toward her and not, not that she's a bad person for killing John. She had to do what she had to do. Anybody in that situation would have, you know, needed to do the same thing, but I could maybe understand how your daughters might maybe miss their dad or be upset that he's gone. But on the other hand, they didn't have a relationship with him at all. So, and they knew they were rational enough. It sounds like to realize Tara was fighting for her life. And even though it was her, their dad that passed away, I mean,
1: she had to do it. Right. There was nothing to miss. There was no relationship to miss. And I think they were just, you know, they were relieved kind of that it was over. But I think they also have had to deal with the fact that I'm never going to be able to tell him what I think of what he did to us, to my mom, um, abandoning me. I'm never going to be able to let him know how bad that felt to us. Yeah. But I've encouraged my girls um, because I did the same thing. I I wasn't able to tell him either because I had a protection order and a lot of stuff happened after that protection order. And, um, I couldn't defend myself with him because I can't talk to him, but I decided it just came to me during this period of time between when he was stabbed and when the autopsy and and the cremation, it took, I don't know, maybe 12 days. It just came to me. I need to write him a letter. I'm going to write him a letter. And so I wrote my feelings down on paper and just getting it out of me and onto paper. It wasn't an ugly letter. It wasn't a really a chewing out. It really was just, you know what? You heard only no one but yourself. Yeah. You have two beautiful children who, you know, yeah. love God, who have beautiful lives and we are going to be fine. Yeah. You know, it was that, it was that type of letter. But once I got it out of me and onto paper and I sent it actually to his sister and she was going to deliver it to his dead body yeah. and hopefully she did. But if she didn't, I still felt better. And so I've encouraged my girls to do the same. Anything you feel you need to say to him, say it, get it out of yourself and get it down on paper. You'll feel so much better.
0: Yeah, just a release, right? Just to release yes. those feelings because that you had held in for so long. I can just imagine it would feel like a weight off your shoulders just to get it out, even though he's already gone, you know? Right. A podcast friend of mine from the Cult of Domesticity podcast, as well as a listener named Jennifer, they want to know how you've coped after having John in your life and how did you keep it all together? Is that just like the, the therapy and the release of writing a letter and
1: how have you? Poked? Well, it's it's a combination of a lot of things, a lot of praying, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? A lot of re- of reading books. I read a book called "Relationship Rescue," um, kind of in the very beginning, written by Dr. Phil. And when this happens to you, or any type of relationship, you know, like this, you really have to dig deep and find out what role you played in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because if you just sit back and blame the other person you're going to end up in another relationship just like it. You've got to figure out why you were drawn in to this type of person, and you've got to fix that. So I read a lot of kind of self-help books kind of like that. I've got a good sense of humor. I've got a great support system. And I've also um, kind of made it my mission that John took a lot of me. He took a lot of my years of my life, and I just decided I'm not going to let him have anything else. So whenever I go down that road of, you know, anxiety or living in the past or letting something about him affect my future. I say, you know what, you've had enough, John. I, I'm not I'm not gonna let you have anything else. And that kind of helps me get through.
0: I think that's a great mantra. And I also obviously there's no blame to be put on you, but at the same time it's really, I think, very helpful for you to just be able to look at yourself and go, what did I do to contribute? And it's not placing blame on you at all. But it's just saying, what can I do different in the future to protect myself and, and avoid these situations and these types of relationships?
1: Yes, you have to have a complete self-examination. That's why you see women go into a pattern of picking the same guy over and over again. And you and you, you look at him from afar and say, oh, my God, he's just like the last one. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to examine yourself pretty clearly.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. How were you approached to participate in the Dirty John podcast and were you hesitant at all to participate?
1: Yeah, actually I was I was contacted by a different writer who broke the story first and she contacted me and I was very hesitant. It was right in the midst of, you know, having to tell my kids and yeah. and I knew how long and detailed the story was and I just didn't feel like I wanted to talk to anybody for 3, 4 or 5 hours on the phone to explain it. And then eventually Chris Gofford called me and he just has a way about him that I, I trusted mm-hmm. and I decided that I wanted to participate so that I could help the story. It, it was going to be told whether I, help, whether I participated or not. So sure. I just wanted to be helped the story to be told correctly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I do, I do think that Chris Gofford did such an amazing job uh, with the podcast. I can see where he would be somebody you would put your trust in, you know, and, mm-hmm. Said it was going to go on with or without you. So you may as well make sure it's done factually and right. hear, you know, people hear your point of view. Exactly. So my listener, Julie, wants to know how has the podcast changed your life and also
1: your daughter's lives? Well, um, I will say that it's probably not changed our life, but I am grateful that there's now a place where people and my children can Can hear and know who he was and what he was without it just coming from me. Right. (laughs) It kind of put it in a tidy little container. And I think it was very helpful mostly for my kids. You know, I think some people judged me like, oh, why would you want everybody to know about your kid's father? Well, it doesn't change that he was their father. We all still know it. We know the details. And we've gotten a lot of support. You know, my kids have gotten a lot of support. And that way, I think it's been good for Emily and Abby and our family.
0: And that's so interesting for you to point out. I hadn't thought of that, that this was a way too for them to hear. The story of their father coming from somebody other than their mother. So that must have been so interesting for them, and probably you too, but especially your daughters to hear the story of their father. I just can't imagine how how they felt about that, hearing that.
1: Yeah, well, you you'll get the opportunity to ask them for sure. <laughs> Definitely,
0: I know, and I'm so looking forward to it. I've connected with. Um, with Emily, she seems so sweet and we're actually going to talk tomorrow and then I'll reach out to Abby as well. And um, again, my listeners are so excited to hear from you guys. As you can kind of see, you get a little hint of it in the Facebook group that everybody's really excited to hear from you guys. Mm-hmm. Just a couple more questions. Um, sure. So since you know you all are somewhat public figures now, has anybody reached out to you for any projects? I mean, I know word on the street is there's a television production in the works.
1: Yes, they've contacted me and still deciding whether that's something that's going to work out or not. You know, there's a lot of legal details, uh, you know, with that. And I haven't been explained well enough that, but, you know, I'll participate if it's it's right for me.
0: Good. Yeah. I know people would be excited. That was a question from My podcast buddy, Occulte Verititis podcast, that's another true crime podcast. He They wanted to make sure that I asked you that question because I think everybody's kind of chomping at the bit to get more. I mean, this story is seriously like it's just made for for TV. I mean, it just has all the makings of something that people would be so fascinated with. So I think that if there is a television production that comes to light, I think it'll be very popular because people are just fascinated by this.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I would love to maybe write my story. My story's different than, yes. you know, the the last two years with Deborah. There's a whole other, you know, backstory to this that's. There's enough there for a book. I just I'm a working mom with kids in college and and don't have the time or not I may not even necessarily have the talent.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I, well, you're obviously a very bright educated woman and I and I definitely think that you do have a story to tell. And you know, when these things happen if if you're anything like me, I want to go way way back. Like I want to know all perspectives and yes, we got mm-hmm. some of the story of when you were with John and things like that, but I'm also curious how you grew up and who you were before you met John and and just all these things. And so um, if you do write a book, I will read it for sure. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) awesome. Um, awesome.
0: Okay. So I'm a curious person and I want to know what your current dating married life is. And if you don't
1: mind sharing. No, I don't mind at all. Um, I've been married a little over 14 years to another nurse anesthetist. Um, Right. (laughs) <laughs> well I don't hang out in bars anymore, so you're gonna meet pe- <laughs> you're gonna meet people at work. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's great. It's a
0: great place to meet people.
1: And fortunately he's a man who saw the whole story unfold because I always thought, Who's gonna go out with me a second time after they ask, Well, what wrong what went wrong with your first marriage? you know. Oh, no. So <laughs> luckily he knew the whole backstory. He knew the baggage that he was getting and um, you know, he's helped raise uh, my two girls and he's been a, a wonderful father and, and role model for them uh, and a protector of all of us.
0: Oh, well, you know, I'm so happy to hear that because you always want to have, you know, the good ending to the story. And I just, it's, it does seem, I mean, just based on social media and my conversation with you today, seems like you and your daughters are thriving. And I am so happy to see that you've raised two very smart, Girls, and I'm so excited to get to know them, you know, each individually a little bit better. And this could not have ended better for all of you, it seems.
1: Right, right. And I'm so glad that you're going to talk to them because. Really I think they feel like they wanna be heard. You know, everybody's yes. obviously, you know, everybody's very interested in, in, you know, in Tara and in Deborah and the relationship and the and the last thing. But I think my girls have felt a little bit left out. Like, sure. you know, this was my dad. Doesn't yes. don't people wanna know what we're thinking, what we're feeling? And so I'm I'm glad that they have this opportunity because the dateline was so short that they really didn't have time to delve into into the kids. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited that you that you want to talk to them and that you'll let them have a voice on your show.
0: Oh, I absolutely want to talk to them, and I was so relieved when you reached out to me because I had already wanted to reach out to you guys. But it's a fine line. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to intrude on anything. And so, obviously, Tara agreed to speak with me, and I and I so appreciate that she did that. But that doesn't mean that you and your daughters would want to. And so. I was actually even kind of discussing it, you know, with my husband. I said, I really want to speak with Tanya, you know, and John Meehan's daughters. But, you know, I just, I'm new at this, you know, I'm, I'm in podcasting. I've never, it's not something I've ever done before. I've been doing it for a few months. It's been so much fun, but it's certainly outside of the box for me. So I'm not used to like maybe, you know, a seasoned journalist or a reporter, I'm not used to reaching out to people and sort of intruding and saying, hi, my name's Jamie. Do you want to talk to me in a public way? You know?
1: Right, Um, right. So
0: I was very relieved when you reached out and I am absolutely interested in getting their opinions and their viewpoint and yours as well, because you all have such a crazy story to tell. And the more people who talk about it, the more people learn. I mean, so many of my listeners the comments that I've been getting after talking to Tara and then announcing that I'm going to be talking to you is just that women are messaging me saying this has helped me so much. I was in an abusive relationship and I have felt empowered and I've learned so much, you know, um, and they feel a connection, honestly, mm-hmm. Too, mm-hmm. because they've gone through something similar.
1: Right. You know, everybody thinks everybody else is living this totally normal life and you don't want to share sometimes what's going on with you. But but once you do open up and share and I encourage people to do that, you'll find that everybody's had something at some time in their life. Sure. And that they're willing to help you and they're willing to talk you through it and they're willing to, you know, to be your support and you've got to have support.
0: You do. And it's just, it always does feel sometimes when you're going through something traumatic, you just internalize it and you just feel so alone. Like nobody else is going through this. And and you're right. Once you put it out there, you see that you are absolutely not the only one. And it's sad. I wish there was, you know, a lot fewer women and men, you know, being in abusive and traumatic situations, but it happens all the time. So I honestly think that let's get it out there. Let's not keep the secrets of these abusers, of these manipulators, Mm -hmm of these people who, you know, have bad intentions, let's put it out there and um, let somebody learn from it. And it's probably therapeutic at the same time. to talk. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I just have one parting question for you. And then I want to let okay. if you've got anything you would like to put out there and say, I'm, I'm all ears. Um, so I just kind of want to know what advice you have for women and men who might be in an abusive relationship or just going through something traumatic like a tumultuous divorce
1: or what, what advice would you give? Um, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a hard question because it depends on the personalities. It depends on what's going on. But I would say don't be afraid to pull every person you know in, um, your family, your friends. Be open. Read as much as you can. There's so much out there. Get um, counseling if you can, if you can afford it. Um, if you can't afford that, um, I'm sure your friends will certainly uh, give you free free advice. Um, stay strong. Stand up to anybody who's trying to tear you down. Don't let them have you. Um, you deserve the best. I think that's the best advice I can give. I think that's it's
0: great advice, and um, you've summit. You're somebody who's lived it, so I think that you definitely can be somebody to give you know, advice since you've been through it. But um, I just overall just want to thank you for taking time today to talk to me. And also just in the bigger picture, just being willing to tell your story to the world. I mean, that podcast was literally like number 10, you know, or in the top 10 for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's still really, really popular. So many people have listened. And I think that that means many people have learned something very valuable from it. So I I really appreciate your perspective and, and taking time to talk to me today.
1: Sure, Jamie. Thank you so much. I
0: hope you enjoyed this episode. Tune in next time to hear from Tanya and Dirty John's daughter, Emily. As with everyone involved with the Dirty John story, Emily has her own perspective to give. We talked about everything from her first memories of John to how she feels about him today. So make sure you tune in next time to hear my interview with Emily Meehan. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you all very soon. Lawn Kings, headquartered in Los Angeles, California, is a synthetic grass company specializing in front and backyard transformations. Lawn Kings sells and expertly installs synthetic grass for homes, commercial buildings, sports fields, and theme parks in the Southern California area. Lawn Kings has perfected their craft over the last decade, and the majority of their business comes by way of referrals from happy customers. Lawn Kings synthetic grass is safe for kids and pets and can dramatically reduce your water bill. The grass is very low maintenance and comes with a long-term warranty. If you'd like a free estimate, head over to LawnKingsInc.com and tell them Jamie from Murderish sent you. I know the owner on a first-name basis because, well, he's my husband. My husband, Steve, has owned and operated Lawn Kings for the last 10 years, and he's a licensed contractor. He got his start in the business building outdoor sets for the movie industry for almost 20 years. He really knows his stuff, and he's kind of a nice guy. So head over to LawnKingsInc.com if you'd like more information or a free estimate in the Los Angeles or surrounding areas. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't be shy. Tell a friend. The word of mouth is powerful. You can follow the podcast on social media, on Twitter at MurderishPod, and on Facebook at Murderish Podcast. I have a closed group set up for us to discuss all things murderish. If you'd like to take your support for the podcast a step further, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash murderish. If you choose to become a patron, you'll get some extra perks in exchange. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash murderish. Murderish merchandise is also available at two online stores. Links to the online stores are available in show notes and in the about section of the Murderish podcast Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Say, Murderish Podcast is the best. No nah, nah, nah. nah. No, see, not I, I said no. Just say, Murderish Podcast is the best. Vacuum Podcast is the best. No, it's not a vacuum podcast. It's a murderish podcast. Is that, um, what the, what is Murderish Podcast? It's the best podcast in the world. Mm-hmm. Do you like Murderish Podcast? Murderish is Podcast. thats in the whole place. Yeah. yeah! That's what I think. Let's skip the foreplay. Murder. You want to talk about it. Hear about all kinds of nasty things. Sex. Torture. Madness. Dismemberment. And why, more than anything... You want to know, why? Well, dear listener, you ain't never had a friend like me.
1: Tune in to Murder Was the Case,
0: featuring author and investigative criminologist, Lee Meller. Sometimes solo, often with guests, always horrifically entertaining. Listen to Murder Was the Case on iTunes, Google Play, or go to murderwasthecase.podbean.com. It's gonna
1: be sick. That's horrible. That's true. So
0: strange. Usually. I can't imagine what that's like. Do you want to? That could never happen to me. It might. Lock him away. He's pure evil. Or insane. Or human. My
1: name's Kate. I have worked as a forensic psychologist, as well as in prisons, and as a crisis clinician. My job was to figure out who gets locked up and who gets a key to find the humanity in inhumane situations. So, are you sure you really want to know? Yeah. Maybe.
0: Because by the end of the episodes, you just might end up thinking... I felt better before I knew that.
1: You can find me at IWB Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, sometimes Instagram, or you can email me at IWB at gmail.com.